Oh, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. <clears throat> and uh, we are thankful that all of you are here. I know our youth are meeting and high life, and uh, we're glad that all of you are in the house of the Lord. And I started last week <clears throat> talking about lasting change or what I would call uh, transformation and uh, <clears throat> that cycle uh, either you can look at a frog or you can look at a butterfly and see the metamorphosis. In fact, Paul used that word in the 12th chapter when he uh, <coughs> said that be ye transformed. That Greek word there is the same word for metamorphosis. Be ye completely transformed by in your mind and in your that you can understand the good and perfect and and uh, you know acceptable will of God and so notice that phrase the will of God that you can recognize the will of God everybody say the will of God and a lot of times we we simply look at that word as what is the will of God? Well, is the will of God for me to work on this job? It's the will of God for me to marry this person. It's the will of God for me to go here. The will of God, the will of God, the will of God. And we'll, I, this is not a lesson on the will of God, but and uh, I, we can talk about that at some point. But the, the fact is that the main will of God is for you to live for him to serve him, to worship him, and to be transformed by him. That's what he wants to do. He wants to transform you or to change you. And, and then we spent a while and we looked at how mankind uh, has taken some partial truths and built uh, psychological uh, processes and ways to transform and and you know it's amazing because uh, when you stop and think about um, the history of some of this there was a very little hope up until you know the 1700s the 1800s that anybody changed in other words if you were born into a family of shoemakers guess what you became shoemaker if you were born into a family that lived upstairs you lived upstairs or downstairs you were a servant downstairs and you didn't get to change you didn't get to better yourself you didn't get to have a different you know in fact you didn't even get to choose who you were going to marry someone told you who you were going to marry and they told you about all your stations in life and I know that seems uh, far-fetched now and yet when we uh, now look maybe you could go back to when the Protestant Revolution or Reformation was uh, taking off that there was a sense of we don't have to be 
uh, told everything. And maybe it was what that was called the Dark Ages and the Age of Enlightenment now allowed that sense that we could change. And we talked about changing the environment and how that can be helpful. And I, I want to reiterate, and I talked on this last week, and I don't want to bog down uh, on it again, but I, these things are not, uh, they don't have, they're not to be disregarded completely. They are, but you have to understand their limitations and recognize that God's way of transformation is so much greater than that. You understand? And, and it's not just changing the environment. It's not just understanding the past. And we looked through all of that. And it's not through self-discovery and trying to figure out that, well, you know, when I was uh, a little, this is what happened and all of that. And we talked about all of that. And it's not about my self-esteem. And, and I, while I, I am in no way suggesting that, you know, you should talk uh, down to your children and that you should be mean to them and you should, you know, in any way, uh, you know, uh, not care about their environment. You know, a, a wise parent cares about who they're hanging out with and what they're doing and all, all of those things. But there is a transformation that goes beyond that. Because you can't just say, well, the environment, because Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. And yet there was sin. Cain and Abel, perfect environment up until they were cast out of the garden and yet had very different paths. So you realize that it's not just about changing through those methods. And then Paul I addressed in Romans the 7th chapter and and I I went to the 7th chapter of Romans because Paul addressed religious types of institutional changes if you will and how that those have limitations. He in fact talked about just having more laws and just having more legalistic laws. And I realize that when a child is very young, uh, we're, uh, you know, you don't uh, discuss the laws of thermodynamics with a one-year-old. You just say, don't touch, that's hot, spank, bad, no, 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 when they reach for the fire. You don't go into, let me explain to you about th thermodynamics. What happens is your body is running at 98.6. And if you touch that flame and it's, it's at 250, there's an immediate transfer of heat from you, that thing into your body, which causes blisters. And no, don't go there. Just say no. I get it. And so I understand on some level, maturity level, that, you know, sometimes it's easier just to tell people, don't do this, don't do that, stop that. And most of us have felt and at times, you know, <clears throat> you know, uh, obeyed and, and found out later maybe it was goofy to obey. Uh, because maybe it had no merit. I remember, and you all probably don't remember this, but in the South, for some reason, we had uh, tornado drills and then we had nuclear bomb drills. 
because Jacksonville Air Force Base was not far from where we were, and it was an uh, Air Force Base. So we had nuclear bomb drills. In a tornado drill, you marched out in, a, in an orderly fashion and got in the hall and put your head between your knees, and you lean, leaned up against all of the lockers. In a nuclear drill, <coughs> you got under your desk. which I'm sure would have kept you safe. And I realized much later when, you know, when science, when they start showing the, you know, the cloud over Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all these things that I'm not sure the desk would have protected us. Maybe it would have, but I just doubt that, you know. Uh, it was a nice way to make the kids, you know, stop put their pencil on the desk and get under it. But we quickly realized, most kids realized, you know, this is nuts. We're not this, you know, all this glass right here in the classroom and, and yet we don't even have to go out in the hall. I guess they realized it wasn't worth it to go in the hall if it's a nuclear explosion. But anyway, Paul addresses in Romans the seventh chapter, and I talked about those last week. He talked about just the law, because sometimes the law can actually cause people to want to sin because it puts thoughts in their mind. So another law. In fact, one Paul one point said, the law taught me. It's a schoolmaster. It taught me what sin was. And basically what the law was supposed to do was teach us that we need God to transform us. And uh, uh, we looked through some of that. And then we looked at changing God through will worship or willpower or that sense of, you know, I am going to live in a monastery and I'm going to isolate myself. And by my sheer power of my will, I will not, I will, will, will. So here we have the law uh, trying to change us. Here you have your willpower and being very stoic. And there is a lot that you can do with your will. And your will is powerful. And I agree with that. But that still is not the transformation that the Lord wants. It's not just about buckle down and you can do this and you're going to go live in isolation. And I, I realize and I, I understand we have, a, we have a group of people that are not far from us that have uh, separated themselves from a lot of society and they do not want uh, the luxuries of electricity and they don't want to use the electricity of, of a car or a telephone or some of those things. And, and uh, you know, at times I wish I didn't have a telephone and I'm not sure about the electricity. I still kind of like the electricity. I'm not sure about that, but you know, I wish I didn't have some of those things. But let me tell you, I many years ago, back in the 70s, when we were evangelized in the early 80s, my wife and I came through and Brother Hugh Rose took us up to Berlin and uh, was one of our first times to eat at uh, the, der, not the Der Dutchman, but the uh, Boyd and Wortham and some of those restaurants that, you know, still to this day are wonderful. And we ate in charm and, and I got, I somehow met and make, became acquainted with a, an Amish man and uh, he lived there and I 
went to he invited me to his home. I bought a rocker from him and then got a desk for my wife. He invited us to a wedding that was their family and we got to I guess because at that time for whatever reason he uh, became we became good acquaintances back in the 80s and we would go in and see him and and yet he would tell me he said I uh, uh, minister, pastor, he didn't call me pastor, but reverend, he said, I, I want you to know that it may look like we're good here, but we have a lot of alcoholism in our community. I said, you all buy alcohol? He said, we make it, but it's, it's rampant in our community. And he began to tell me some of the things that were plaguing their community. And I thought, wow, you would think being isolated... There's still greed. There's still all the other stuff that can be there. You understand? So when you stop and think, well, I could just live by myself. I would not ever. And, you know, but it's, it's not going to transform completely. Changing through mind power. And we talked about that. And that is the power of the mind. And I'm, I'm going to become Mr. Spock and I'm going to I'm going to just will myself with my mind. I'm going to do that. And we yet, I said, uh, is change possible? And I do believe that it is. And so that was the last slide that I showed last week was, is change possible? And so how can I change? Well, to look on in Romans, the seventh chapter, and I really am going to have to backtrack into the sixth chapter, but I, I want to show you what, what was later Paul talked about in the seventh chapter because he began addressing some of this. In fact, in fact, I probably... You should read Romans chapters 1 through 7 just to kind of get an understanding because he basically was saying, you know, that Gentiles are sinners in chapter 1 and then all of Israel is sinners in chapter 2 and then he wraps it up in chapter 3 and he said, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God and he's going through all of these sins and so now he's here in 7 and he says, 7th chapter in the 24th verse. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Wretched, the Greek word is teleporos, which means afflicted, enduring toils and trembles. And when he screamed that, oh, wretched man, that was a, a tremendous statement of humility, of genuine humility and contrite confession you notice he said oh wretched man that I am he didn't say oh how terrible I was raised <laughs> oh how horrible my life has been Paul took ownership it's not about how I was raised it's not about what I, was happened to me it's not about what I but he said, oh, wretched man that I am. If you're going to be transformed, you got to buy what you're doing. <laughs> and you can't pass the buck to anybody else. I try to blame my folks. They drop me on my head. 
I try to blame the environment. If I had a better congregation, I would be a better pastor. It ain't nobody's fault but moi. You understand? I can't look around and go, well, and I've had, I've had people say, well, you know, if I would have had better Ray, I, under, I wish that you had a better parent. I, if I'd have had better grand, if my parents would have raised me in church, if I would have had, I, I, I get it, I get it. If I'd have been, had a different environment, I understand. But at some point, if you really want to change like God can change you, you got to say, it's on me right now. Lord, I'm going to need you to transform me. It's not anybody else's fault. Not anybody else's to blame. Not anybody else's, you know, oh, but you don't understand. If you knew what I went through, I get it. I wish you wouldn't have gone through it. I wish that you would have had a different life. I wish, I wish, I wish there would have been more young people that would have given you better support. I wish there would have been a greater youth team. I wish there would have been a greater uh, Sunday school class. I wish you'd have had a better pastor. I wish you, but at some point you got to, it's between me and God. Can a better youth team help? Yes. Can a better pastor help? Yes. Can a better, yes. Parents that raised you in church, yes, but at some point, you know what? It's on me. If I'm going to transform like God wants me to. Because unfortunately, the Lord looks right here. This is where he starts. Oh, I know. He, he gave us commandments. Don't, you know, don't offend a little one. It would be better for you to hang a millstone around your neck. We have responsibility for everybody else. I get that. But at some point, if I'm going to change, I've got to, you know, I've got to recognize it's on me. Number two, then you have to turn. That's what true repentance is, is a turning. <clears throat> it is recognizing that God is the only one to change my heart. Verse the 25 of the seventh chapter, he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on talking about how the Lord has helped him be transformed. Now, Paul, obviously, he was a Jew. He knew how to live the law. He knew how to be, be righteous according to the law. He knew what to do according to all of that. But he was saying, you know what? With my mind, I serve the law of God, and with my flesh, the law of sin. And he goes on, and he's talking about the spirit and the flesh, and, and yet he says, I thank God that transformation comes through Jesus Christ. Now you say, could Paul, whose, whose name had been Saul, you know, here he is being transformed, but he's not the first one. If you look in the Old Testament, and you study the uh, Moses, and, and Moses was transformed. And I could go through and build a whole case on Moses because, you know, Moses was raised in the palace. He had the best of everything. He had <coughs> chariot practice, and he was raised as the 
uh, as the uh, Pharaoh's daughter's uh, child. So that his grandfather was Pharaoh. He had the best of the best of the best. He ate out of the best goblets and drank from the best goblets and ate on gold plates. And he had the best food and he had it all. And yet, what happened? At age 40, he thought he could make. In fact, that's what Stephen said when Stephen talked about Moses before he was stoned in Acts the 7th chapter. Read very carefully what Stephen said about Moses. He says, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. He got the idea. This is on me. I'm going to go visit them. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Verse 25 is an amazing verse that Stephen spoke when he said, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God, by his hand, would deliver them, but they, what? They didn't get it. Now, you want to know why it took God 40 years and several chapters to get Moses to be willing to go back? This is why Moses, and I've preached, and I've kind of made light of what Moses, you know, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't talk, I can't, God, who am I going to tell him, et cetera, et cetera. But Moses had in his idea about how this deliverance was going to go, he felt like he had heard from God. He knew what his purpose was. And yet the Lord basically told him, not now. And then God had to completely transform Moses and work on getting all that junk out of his heart to get him to go back into Egypt. Could God do that? Did God stop with the process? No. God, and that's a powerful praise. God is not, if he's got a job for you, let me just tell you, he will work with you and work on 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 you, work on you, work on you some more and work on you, come to you in a burning bush, and work on you, and work on... Say, well, he dealt with me when I was 40, but I'm 80 now. He's through with me. Hang on. He'll keep working on you. And he, because he wants to transform you. The woman at the well, you know the story uh, of... Uh, of the woman at the well when when this woman uh, you know uh, you know came and he said hey uh, you know 
uh, give me a, a, a drink. And, and she was like, no, no. And he, he said, well, you know, go call your husband. And she goes, oh, by the way, I don't uh, have a husband. He goes, yeah, that's true. You got, you've had five and you're living with a guy. And what was her response? John, the fourth chapter. Read it very carefully. She said, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She had gone to a well to be by herself. She had gone in the heat of the day. And now she becomes this testifier of who Jesus was. And this was before the Holy Ghost. Before baptism. You read on down in the 39th verse and it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For what reason? For the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all ever that ever I did. You talk about being transformed. And, and you, we're here. We remember that moment when you got the Holy Ghost, when you felt the presence of God. You wanted to tell everybody. You go to school, you want to tell everybody. Siobhan is always asking, where are the blessing cards? I want to tell somebody. I want to give them a blessing. Now, most of us, we go, oh, yeah, well, you'll grow out of that. But that's what the power of the transformative power of the Holy Ghost is supposed to do. We, don't, we shouldn't want to grow out of it. Saul, who's Paul, and when he was talking about his conversion in Acts 9, he got before King Agrippa, and I think that was another chapter. I accidentally put 9.14. I think there was another verse where he tells King Agrippa, I heard this voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And you know what the pricks were, the goads? were those stakes that they put around a pin, around an entrance, and to keep the animals, you kick them, you bump them, and you stay away from them. And let me just tell you, Paul did not ask for goads to be put around him. Paul did not say, Lord, I want you to hem me in. I want you to change me. But I want to tell you, when the Lord knocked him down, the Lord basically told him, from here on, buddy, I'm going to circle you, and you're not going to have the power to kick against this. If a person really wanted to be transformed, if they prayed, Lord, put a Put me in the middle of some goads. <laughs> Every time I get ready to get off track, let me, let me bump my shins. Woo! 
all of a sudden, guess what? I'm able to be transformed. Now, we, did, we had a thing like that we did in psychology. I, we had a therapy called aversion therapy. Anybody heard of aversion therapy? This was years ago, 40 years ago. We'd have people write out checks. We'd ask them, we'd say, what are the 10 organizations you hate the most? Whatever they were. Hells Angels, KKK, NAACP, whatever, your, your hated organizations. Write them out a check for $100. Every time you smoke, we send in the check. So if you want a cigarette, you got to know you're going to be sending the KKK 100 bucks. Or you're going to be sending Hell's Angels a $100 bill. Oh, <laughs> you know, it didn't take too many cigarettes until they were like, oh, no, I, I, I ain't doing this anymore. I'm tired of giving them my, my, my money. <laughs> well, that's what Paul was saying when the Lord put him in an aversion therapy, if you will. <laughs> you go on <laughs> that um, 2 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> he, uh, he, he says, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? A new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Paul wrote to the church, the Thessalonians in Thessalonica, and he said, Furthermore, then we beseech you, beg you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord, as many as you have received of us, as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. And you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the, what is the word? Will of God. Everybody say the will of God. Let me tell you what the will of God is for. Your sanctification. That you would abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his body. And he goes on through all of this. So when you stop and think, this is the will of God. Even my sanctification. And I understand we are living in 2023 and it, we have a world that has been changed in so many ways. And there's this sense of change all the time. It is this whole sense of, you know, um, Everything has changed. Cell phones, the way we communicate. The first time my wife and I went to Australia, it, 
doing. We were there a couple of weeks because it took so long to get there and we were flying. I can't imagine just 50 years before we went, the only way to get there was by boat or ship. We flew. And, and yet, even when we flew, there was no cell phone. There was no way you could call, but you had to go to get an operator and get an international line. And we sent postcards and our kids got them after we got home. Now communication is like, bam! And these companies have realized, wow, we make a mistake and boom, our stock market drops $25 billion. Boom! Everything is quick and then, you know, and we, we have seen these changes that have come about through technology, and I'm not against technology, and through travel. I mean, you know, the ease of travel, domestic travel, airplane travel. I remember when Southwest came out, they wanted to compete with the cars. It was the first airline that said, we're going to compete with car traffic and get you in and get you on your way and no seats and all, all of this has changed and yet God's word is still the same and what God wants for us is still the same he wants our sanctification he wants us to be different and I know we got a lot of mega churches around America that they don't want to preach anything to be offensive and I don't want anybody to be offended and I don't want anybody to worry about being transformed. But let me tell you, that was the will of God is our sanctification. And unfortunately, a lot of Christianity, if you want to call it that, have developed these wrong ideas about God. That God just loves everybody. Well, that's true. But his love was not a pampering love. It was a perfecting love. Hebrews said, for whom God loves, he corrects. He chastens. He scourges every man. Every son whom he receiveth. And... My mind is blown in this hour that parents would abdicate major decisions to their own five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. Huh? They don't love them. And, and I, I mean, you've heard me saying it's Wednesday night and I don't mean to be crass, but I've, I've looked at people in the store and I've thought, nobody loves them. Or they would tell them when they're going out, uh-uh. You shouldn't go out looking like that. Somebody ought to love them enough to go, oh, no, come on. Huh? Now, maybe you've never seen anybody like that, but I'm just telling you, I've I, I flat told myself 
You know what? They're, they're living in a home where nobody loves them. Huh? Anyway, because the Bible is very clear, the Lord loves and He corrects. He, why? Because He's wanting us to be sanctified. Why? Because He wants us to be free and free from the power of the possessive power of sin over our lives, over our mind, over our heart. And I know another wrong idea about God. God's trying to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise and happy. I, I love it when God wants me to be happy. I've had people come and tell me, I think God wants me to be happy. And I'm like, where is there scripture for that? What the Lord wants is for me to be like Him. That's why He would say things like, deny yourself, take up your cross. That's a real happy sound. Huh? Come, carry your cross. Oh, oh boy, that's a good thing. But we don't hear very much of that. And and just to be candid, churches, you know, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want people to think that maybe they'll have to deny themselves. What is it that we are, why do we want to be like him? Is so that we can declare the glory of God. So that people can see us and say there's something different. Not because you're better. Not because you think you're holier. Not because you think you're, but there is a glory that you see in that individual. The heavens declare the glory. We're supposed to declare his glory. I am to be like him. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't understand. I, <clears throat> Isaiah goes on and he says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him, what? For my glory. I formed him and I made him. I want to tell you something. You're not your own. You are meant and called to glorify God. And until you recognize that's what I was called for, Ephesians, New Testament, Paul said it like this, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. He goes on down in the 12th verse and says that we should be to the praise of his glory. So, well, I don't think I want that. Well, that's you, the Lord. That's why Paul said, I want you to understand what the will of God is. The will of God is for you to show forth his glory. It's not, you know, I, and people get excited. And they go, I want to know it's the will of God for me to be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. I want to tell you something more important than that. It's the will of God for you to show forth his glory. And I tell these young folks, I, I, you know, do your best, 
do your best in school. And if the Lord opens the doors and it's what you feel and feel in your heart, go do it. Be wonderful. Study. And if it all of a sudden shuts, don't feel bad as long as you glorify God. I don't care if you work at Walmart. Not that Walmart's bad. I don't care if you work at Wendy's. Not that Wendy's bad. I don't care where you work as long as you are able to show forth the glory of God. Not about, oh, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a butcher, I'm a baker, I'm a candlestick maker, school psychologist. That, that, what, all of that is not important if you can't show forth the glory of God. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, he was even more specific. He said, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, what? Do all for the glory of God. Give none offense neither the Jews nor the Gentiles nor to the church of God even as I please all men in all things and seeking my own profit but the profit not my own profit but the profit of many that they may be saved. First Corinthians the 6th chapter he said what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and you are not your own for you are bought with a price? Therefore, what is the word? Glorify. And we think only in terms of I come in and raise my hands and give God glory and that's part of it. But he said, I want you to glorify God not only in your body but in your spirit which belong to the Lord. You say, well, I'm overwhelmed, and I don't. I, I'm, um, that's why he could tell. You know, I am. I'm. I'm here telling you that you, your job is to praise him, praise him, worship him. I read it to you already. First Thessalonians four, three, and five. This is the will of God. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. This is the will of. Oh, there it is. This is the will of God that you may be sanctified or separated apart from sin and that you may abstain and back away from sexual immorality. Each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, being available for God's purpose and separated for things from things profane, not to be used in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God and are ignorant of his will. So when you ra realize that transformation is part of the will of God for me. He wants to transform me. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter and the seventh verse, he said, for God has not called us to iniquity, impurity rather, but to consecration, to dedicate ourselves to the most thorough Purity. Let me read to you out of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And I know I'm, <clears throat> oops, sorry. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. 
10th verse, 11th verse. For our earthly fathers disciplined us only for a short period of time and chastised us as seemed proper and good to them. But he disciplines us for our certain good that we may be what? Sharers in his own He wants you to share to be like him. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems grievous and painful. But afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A harvest of fruit that consists in righteousness and conformity to God's will and purpose and thought and action, <clears throat> resulting in right living and right standing with God strive to live in peace with everybody and pursue the consecration and holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. And then in Philippians, he says, I am convinced and sure of this very thing. Oh, I love this verse. I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will continue unto the day of Jesus Christ, right up until the time he returns, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. What a privilege. He's going to keep transforming me. He keeps working on me very specifically. Not in generalities where he's talking, you know, bad, calling me names. That's why James would say it like this. Consider it wholly, completely joyful, my brethren. When you are enveloped or encounter trials or any sort or fall into various temptations... Consider it holy, joyful. He didn't say happy. But he said, because there's a big difference between joy and happiness. He said, but consider it joyful, holy, completely joyful. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance, steadfastness, and patience. You are not supposed to fear the trial because the trial will produce something. Don't fear the temptation. The temptation will produce something. What's it producing? Endurance, steadfastness, patience. Say, I, he said, let me tell you, let that endurance, steadfastness, and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you can be a people perfectly and fully developed with no defects. And I preached on this Sunday night, lacking in nothing, having staying power like a tree planted by the water. And you preserve, persevere, endure, patient. And, and, and I preached all through this, James, you remember that? And he says, I'm not going to deal with you in fault finding. And I read these verses to you, all of that. And I said, no beach ball Christians. And I went through and I said, when you read Ephesians 4, and I didn't list, but you know what? He, he goes through specific things in it 4. 
He said, don't lie, don't get angry and sin not, don't steal, don't have corrupt communication, no bitterness. That's, that's not be a good boy. That's getting down where we live. He goes through Colossians. Don't be blaspheming, filthy communications, goes through those. Colossians, forgiving one another, let the peace of God rule your emotions. Galatians, he goes through the whole works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. James, the first chapter, for truly let not such a person imagine he will receive anything that he asks from the Lord. So, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going I'm to just read this one. Uh, maybe two slides and I'm out. Uh, it's eight of three. My response to his pointing out something specific. How do you respond when the Lord says, you don't need to do that. You don't need to, you know, you need to change that. You need to get a grip on that attitude. If you want to trans, be transformed, you have to do what Romans, the seventh chapter, oh, wretched man that I am. The first step you got to do is repent. When the Lord points out something, you got to go, oh, wait a minute, Lord, you're right. I've blown it again. Oh, wretched man that I am. Most of the time, what I do is, if he would have not done what he did, I wouldn't have. Huh? If they wouldn't have, I. And the Lord goes, don't worry about them. I'm talking to who? Oh, Hallelujah. You don't remember what he said to the Laodicean church? Laodicea. Rich, spew you out of my mouth. He goes down and he says, As many as I love, I rebuke, I chasten, be zealous therefore, and do what? Repent. You read it in the Amplified. Repentance. Obviously, John the Baptist talked about repentance. Ezekiel talked about repentance. Repentance is out through the whole New Testament. If you ever stop repenting, then you stop confessing. Huh? And so if you ever justify what you did, then you don't repent, then you don't confess, and he can't forgive you. If it's always somebody else's fault, well, you've got to remember what she did. Is that repentance? If I am always pointing the finger, this one did it, that one did it, this one shouldn't have done it, that one shouldn't have done it, guess what? Is that repentance? No, repentance is, is oh, wretched man that I am. I need your mercy. Well, but you know, truthfully, Pastor, they also, <laughs> you will not be transformed pointing out their sins. I'm sorry. I thank God I'm not like them. Huh? I can give you Bible for that. <laughs> you say, what do you mean? When you stop repenting, you stop confessing. When you stop confessing, you stop forgiveness. 
What does 1 John say? If we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude and lead ourselves astray, and the truth the gospel presents is not in us, does not dwell in our hearts. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just and true in his own nature and promises and will forgive us our sins. He will dismiss our lawlessness continuously, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything not in conformity to his will in purpose and in thought and in action. You read that and you understand true repentance involves the mind, it involves the heart, it involves the will. What are you saying I need you Lord I, I know I know they've done wrong I know they've done wrong but I oh wretched man that I am because I want to be transformed by your spirit you say well if I could change churches if I could change environments I could change husbands wives children I would be a wonderful father. Huh? You better get a grip. I'm not, I don't disagree with you. Maybe try four or five different husbands or wives or whatever. But at some point, you're going to have to have the water that flows from the inside out. Huh? Because that's how you're going to get transformed is to recognize, Lord, I need it right here. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand. I apologize. I've got more slides maybe. Next week I can finish all of this. I'm The more I study, I saw what I did Sunday night about James and I blew through it tonight and you can watch what I preached on Sunday morning. <clears throat> that to even uh, the graduates this past Sunday because I want them to be transformed. I want to be transformed. I want, it doesn't matter whether we had a praise report that I mentioned in a prayer last night, a gentleman in his late 70s, early 80s, David Elms, the man that was ministering when my wife spoke at age 12, and he talked about what COVID had done to him and the vaccination and the two years that he has gone downhill, and he talked about how just since May the 25th, he's been not using oxygen and he said I'm calling everybody I know but you know what I, I'm testifying to the glory of God to the glory of God I want to tell you sometimes trials, tests what's it going to produce in me I want it to produce the glory of God, don't you? You say, well, I only give him glory if it's a miracle that I like. You know what? I, 
when people come in and I know they're sick, I know they're not feeling well, and we've watched them, we've had them in our midst from Brother Wickline, Brother Galoni, Brother Tracy Keys, I, Brother uh, Phillips, I can go through a name after name that when we watched them come in and they worship God, we were saying, that's glory. If they can do it, Hallelujah. Let's thank him for his word. Hallelujah.